got a copy of uh, the uh, series that Pastor has been working on, uh, Nine Secrets of Healthy Relationships, and uh, I'm probably not going to do nearly as good a job as he does, but I'm going to give it my shot tonight. And uh, we are moving into part seven. I uh, I was talking to my mother, and it, it didn't seem like we had already got to part seven, but here we are. Uh, this has been a great series, and I've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I uh, hope it's helping you grow and uh, move closer to the Lord as we understand what's expected of us from His Word. So tonight, part seven is on goodness. We're going to talk about goodness tonight. Our focus verse, we've read this each week, so I will continue with the tradition, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, I know that we've read this verse every week as part of this study. And Pastor has done so wonderfully each Wednesday night thus far. But I want to pause just a moment before we delve into tonight's fruit, which is goodness, and call your attention to that last line of verse 23, because I think it's very important. Uh, Sometimes we focus in or we key in on the fruit, and we forget that last little tagline, but it is much more than a tagline. That simple phrase can get lost in all of the fruit. And if we aren't careful, um, we forget that it is the justification or better yet, the acknowledgement that these fruit must be present in our lives. It literally means this. No custom, no ordinance, no tradition. No preference, no personal truth, that's the big one today. Nothing excuses you from bearing this fruit. Now, I could take that and preach a little while tonight, but I'm going to be nice and stay on task and do what I'm supposed to do, but I will say it like this. Too many read this book like it's a suggestion list where they can obey what they like and excuse away what confronts the flesh. But Paul said, if you have the Holy Ghost, you live under a mandate to represent Him accordingly, and this is how you do it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no custom no personal interpretation, no law against or excuses you from these fruit that we have been talking about up to this point. So as we enter into tonight's topic or fruit, keep that in mind. These are not optional. No custom replaces them. No excuse can nullify them. Nothing you can come up with explains them away. The only example, and and I'll, I'll, I'll fix that statement with this, the only example we have in the Scripture of a fruitless tree is not a very encouraging one. It was beautiful to look at, 
It caught their attention when they saw it from afar. It advertised fruit. But when the master stopped by and found it empty, he cursed it. We cannot advertise ourselves as spirit-filled people and not produce spiritual fruit. And never has that been more important than it is today. So let's look at this one tonight. Let's talk about goodness tonight. Here's the real. Relationships are the soil in the garden of our life. But what grows in them is our choice. It's crazy how it seems we have so many relationship experts today. They're just everywhere, uh, especially in our world today where uh, anybody with a good camera can make videos <laughs> and get on uh, these social media platforms and represent them as basically anything they want to be. There's a lot of experts out there. Can I give them amen? Many can tell you, they can outline for you, and they can describe what a healthy relationship should look like. They can pick apart a bad one. They can dissect it. They can pinpoint its problems. But here is the issue. Few are able to offer any real solutions. And better yet, Few are able to offer any power to deal with relationship difficulties. Consider some fairly um, recent popular books on the subject. Here are their titles. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Another one that's out there said men are like waffles. Women are like spaghetti. I heard, I hadn't seen it yet, but I heard one was in the works that was titled, Men are like clams and women are like crowbar. That hadn't made the shelves yet. This is what they are all saying. Opposites attract and then opposites attack. What they are telling you is this, on our own and within ourselves, we are helpless to keep our relationships truly healthy. Certainly tonight, without the power of God in our lives, our relationships eventually disintegrate into nothing more than a mere power struggle. Any married people in the house tonight? It can't always be your way. Can't always be your way. Hate to use a secular song, but didn't they say you can't always get what you want, right? Can't always be your way. Some say a marriage is 50-50. Maybe that's why a divorce rate is somewhere around that same 
50. Because here it is. If you are keeping score, you are losing. <laughs> Humanly, we want to win. And we want to celebrate that win. But I found a poem. Ogden Nash wrote this. To keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup. When you're wrong, admit it. And when you're right, shut up. And the greatest tool and the only tool that we have to be able to do that, my friends, is the Holy Ghost. We must have it. It comes primarily to get us saved, but it stays with us to keep us saved. Now, I don't need to delve off tonight into a doctrinal discourse about the necessity of the Holy Ghost. We all are here together. We believe what we believe. We've established that. We'll save that for another night. But I will say this. Don't let modern-day religion steal from you the need of the Holy Ghost in your life. Without it, you won't enter that city. Without it, you won't make the rapture. Without it, you won't fare very well at the judgment seat. Without it, you simply ain't going nowhere fast. Romans 8 and 11 said, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Without the Spirit of Christ, we are none of His. We don't, without it, even belong to the family of God. I know that's strong, and many don't like that in our world today. But that's not a preacher's philosophy. That's not a doctrinal position that we take because uh, we've settled it somewhere in a meeting on a back table. It simply comes from Romans 8 and 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. You don't walk after your flesh if the Spirit of God is in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. We didn't come up with that. That predated us. That's in the inspired, holy word of the Lord. The Bible also teaches this very powerful principle. We cannot even call Jesus the Lord of our lives except by the power of of the Holy Ghost. Where does that come from? Glad you asked. 1 Corinthians 12.3 Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit calleth Jesus a curse. When you get the Holy Ghost, you're going to understand who Jesus is. And no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. 
So it should be very clear tonight and very plain tonight, very evident, that we must have His Spirit. For the purposes of our lesson tonight, let's talk about how His Spirit helps us in our everyday relationships. His Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Tonight's topic is goodness, kind of important in healthy relationships, goodness. Instinctively, human beings know that to be right or, or that, that it is right, let me say it like that, that it is right to be good. We know that. We know that we should be good. We can all agree on that, right, tonight? We should be good. We should be good people. Um, I've got a lesson series, uh, What It Takes to Hear Him Say Well Done. We all want to hear him say well done. Well, the very first thing that he's going to say to you when he says well done is thou good, faithful servant. To hear him say well done, you've got to be good. Now, in, in our world, a lot of times we kind of shied away. We don't want people just to think that good is good enough. But when it's defined properly in context of what the Lord is looking for, we absolutely got to understand at the end of the day, we must be good. And that's the, the deal tonight. What constitutes goodness is not always very clear. Around the time the New Testament was written, ancient Greek philosophers weighed in, most of them disagreeing with each other because that's what smart people do. They sit around and talk about stuff and none of them agree because they all want to be the smartest one at the table. Y'all ain't been to meetings like I've been to. <laughs> but everybody had a theory on what it meant to be good. These Greek philosophers, these brains, these men that we still teach our children about in English classes and history classes and social studies and all of those things. One philosopher proposed that good is the experience of pleasure and the eradication of pain. One philosopher stepped up, he said, I know what good is. Good is when you're happy and you're feeling pleasure, and there is no more pain. Now, if we took that as our guide tonight, we could reason that anything that causes tension or unhappiness is not good. Therefore, it must be bad. So on that philosophy, if I'm unhappy in my marriage, I just check out. If drinking makes me feel better, let's hit the club. See where this could be flawed? Doesn't matter what I'm doing to my family. Doesn't matter what I'm doing to myself. I'm trying to find goodness. 
I'm just trying to let the pain go. I'm just trying to find happiness and pleasure. Another one said this, good is the gathering or the acquisition of knowledge and the eradication of ignorance. This has some flaws as well, if you live in our world today. First, it assumes that all teachers or all educators are right. Y'all ever met someone who was trying to teach something and they didn't know what they were talking about? Please don't say tonight. And it primarily fails here. If we are taught what is good, then the assumption is we will automatically do it. Just go read a news article on the crime rate today and then get back to me on that one. Go listen to what's trending on the top of the billboard chart. And come back and tell me about morals. Education alone is not the answer. Another said, good is the greatest benefit for the greatest number. And we've built our political system around this one. Code word, democracy. It recognizes advantages and disadvantages in every situation and then cast its lot to the side of most benefit. The problem here is it destroys the minority by assuming that the majority is always right. Hmm. Who can accurately make that call? There's a famous example in history, Churchill, if you know anything about history, he allowed Coventry to be bombed, arguing that the enemy would be tipped off if he ordered an evacuation of that city. And he said, it's better that they not know that we have their codes. He reasoned that more good to the side of more benefit would come if he maintained access to the enemy's plan and that more lives would be saved later if he just let that bomb fall on that province of Coventry. Now, if we took a vote in there today, how unanimous you think that would be in their disagreement of most benefit? It's flawed. The final one I'm going to bring up tonight is this. Good is having goods. Materialism. Most people in our country still define good this way. We have probably never been a more materialistic people than we are today. In most people's mind, 
Material things equal goodness. Come on, y'all. We, we even get messed up with that sometimes. Somebody's living in the nicer home. They're driving the nicer car. And we automatically say what? They're doing pretty good. Yeah. And every month, that bank is looking for a pretty good mortgage and a pretty good car note. You get what I'm saying? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having nice things. What I'm saying is it doesn't constitute goodness. Because <laughs> overwhelmingly, there's evidence tonight to prove that material goods nearly always fail to satisfy. The toy always gets old. Right? Sometimes it brings a whole new set of troubles in and of itself. So here's the skinny. All of these air in one major way. These philosophies contend that man on his own can choose. And here's your first fill in the blank on your paper. You thought I'd never get there. What is good for him? Every philosophy we've just outlined tonight errs in the fact that it believes or it promotes that man can choose what is good for himself. The facts are this. We are not born good. And further, our bad is not just the result of bad experiences. The Bible teaches that people are not born good, but with a, next blank on your paper, sinful nature. We have a sinful nature from the start. Our nature is to be selfish. Our nature is to be disobedient and rebellious. Any of the sanctified folk in the class tonight ever raised children? Did you have to teach them how to lie? Did you have to teach them how to cover things up when they did something bad? Did you ever have to caution them, don't share your toys? My mama raised me in the church, sitting beside her, singing hymns, learning memory verses. Everything in our house was filth and trash and of the devil. Jeff, am I lying? But one day, when I, church boy, wanted a certain toy at Walmart that I knew she wasn't going to buy, I, church boy, hymn singer, memory verse quoter, 
got the stars and the stickers in the Sunday school room to prove it. Couldn't watch nothing on the TV because it was all trash and filth and garbage. Found a way to take the price tag off of a much cheaper toy. Carefully affix it to the toy I wanted. And went and found her because back in that day you could go to the toy aisle and your mama could shop in Walmart and you were perfectly safe. Run to find her and tell her this was on the clearance table. Thank you. I was skilled from an early age. I hoodooed her. The cashier, Sam Walton, and I walked out of that store with my toy and a smile. But I played with that toy for about two minutes before Judge Judy called me before the bench. And that toy sat still in the top of her closet the day Amy and I got married. <laughs> I'm telling off on myself. Why? Because y'all all got them stories too. You know why we got them? Psalms 51.5. I was shapen in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. We can blame our sin on anything but that. We were born in it. And we are responsible to submit to God so that we have a hope of getting out of it. We sin because we were born in sin. It's our nature from the fall of Adam. And the only hope to get out of it is to submit ourselves to God. We are a product of our choices. That's your next blank. The Bible teaches that each person ultimately chooses their behavior and bears the consequences. This is how Romans said it, 6 and 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. The NLT said it like this. It's on your paper like this. Don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? You can choose sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God and receive his approval. The Bible is clear. We don't have the power. That's a blank on your sheet. In ourselves to choose right. Even if we want to, we don't have the power. We don't possess it. Romans 7, 18, 19, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. 
For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. I keep telling myself, don't do this, dummy. But then I keep doing it. That's me paraphrasing Paul. I keep looking in that mirror and saying, stop, quit. But then I don't. I know it's just me that suffers with that. None of y'all do that. Y'all talk to that man in the mirror, he just listens, lines up, snaps to attention, and goes forward better. Mine hadn't learned yet. He's getting there. So our dilemma then now comes into focus. If man is not born good, yet he's held responsible to choose to be good, but he has no power to be good, still yet he must be good to make it to heaven. What is the answer? He's not born good, but he's responsible to choose to be good, but he don't even have the power to do good, but he's got to do good to go to heaven. What's the solution? The old Anglo-Saxon word for good was the same as the word God, because God is good. The scriptures are full of references to his goodness. We love them. Right? David declared, the Lord is good to all, Psalms 145 and 9. Acts said of Jesus, which was God on earth, he went about doing good. That's 1038 of Acts, if you're taking notes. Remember the young ruler, the rich young ruler, the lawyer, the educated young man who came running up to Jesus? Mark 10, 17, 18 gives the, 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 the real important part of that story. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running, kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why are you calling me good? There's none good but one, and that's God. And if you look at that wrong, it could maybe be a little bit confusing. Like Jesus was saying, don't call me good. There's only one good, and that's God. But we know because we've got the revelation of the mighty God in Christ that Jesus and God are the same person. Jesus isn't denying his deity here. In fact, he is proving it. His answer basically told the man, you said it and you don't even understand what you said. Only God is good. So if I'm good, then I'm God. It takes God now in us in us for us to be able to act 
Here's, here's the next blank. You've heard this a million times. This one's not new. We don't get good to get God. We get God to get good, right? Turn my paper. Keep up where I'm at tonight. The only solution to our dilemma and our sin problem is the power of the Holy Ghost producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Now, I've been enjoying these Greek words, this series. I'm not even going to lie to you. I, I, I like these Greek words. I'm a word guy whenever I... I'm preparing to preach. I always find out what a word means in the Greek. So here's one for tonight. Here's your Greek word for tonight. The Greek word for goodness is agathosun. It's a rare word that combines being good and doing good. Mm. It means that goodness that originates in our heart must manifest itself. It literally means this, to be like God or to be God-like. Our most accurate modern word for goodness would be the word wholeness or your next blank, integrity. Integrity comes from the same root as the word integrate. What that means is this. Integrity is my decision to integrate my heart's values, next blank, into my daily actions. I'm going to stay good, but Lord, help us if we have no integrity. I, according to the Word of God, am wholly complete in Him. I'm like Him. If I have His Spirit, I'm supposed to be like Him. That means everywhere I go, I represent Him. I show forth his praises into this dark and evil world. I can't be double-minded. I can't be two-faced. I can't high-five my brother when he walks up and then stab him in the back when he walks away. We need a fresh baptism of good old-fashioned integrity in the church because it will make us whole, it will make us complete, and most of all, it will make us safe. God, help us if we gossip more than we pray. God, help us if we tear down more than we build up. God, help us if we're always looking for the dirt and never trying to find a way to help somebody get up out of it. 
God, help us if we judge more than we witness. I and you cannot just profess something. We must be something. I tell kids all the time, some reason they think I can do something with all the bad kids. And they send them to me. All of them, every one of them, from the little ones to the big ones. And little ones are harder than the big ones. <laughs> but nearly every day I say this to a child, to a kid. My reputation, your reputation is built on your repetition. What you keep doing over and over and over and the choices you make and what you present to people is what they eventually believe that you are. That's why you walk in that teacher's class and you think she's always on you because you're always doing something for her to be on you. You have built your reputation because of your repetition. Lord, let it be that we, the church, love people. Let it be that we restore people. Lord, let it be said that we believe there's value in our brothers and sisters. We're not trying to win a popularity contest tonight. We're trying to make it to heaven. So our values then must align to his commandments. If we're really serious about this, this is the key. They have to be fleshed out in our daily life. And see, we understand it and we know that Jesus was 100% flesh, man, and he was 100% God. But somewhere that night in that garden, he had to come to an agonizing point where he prayed and the sweat literally came out like blood where he agonized between what the flesh wanted and what the spirit wanted. And he had to lay the flesh's will down and say, I've got to go into my purpose. And he had to go get whipped in the flesh. He had to go get spit on in the flesh. He had to take a crown of thorns in the flesh. He had to be hung on a cross in the flesh. It wasn't enough. He couldn't do it in the spirit. That wasn't what was required for the atonement. That wasn't what was required for the... Mitting of sins. Blood was required. Last I checked, blood only flows in flesh. The things of God, the will of God in our life, the purpose of God on each and every one of you, on me, on you, on all of us, must be accomplished in the flesh. And sometimes we forget that because we judge people. 
based on what we intend to do. And we look at what they did, but, but we okay because I intended to do this. Does that make sense? I'm telling you tonight, as I was getting ready to, to teach this lesson, and this isn't in all the stuff that, that, that Pastor gave me. This is what the Lord laid on my spirit tonight. Nothing is more important than getting it right. No riches, no fame, no success. Nothing. Is worth your soul and getting it right. And it's got to be more than intention. It's got to be fleshed out. It's got to be lived. It's got to enter into our day-to-day walk. The wise preacher said it like this, Proverbs 28 and 6, Better is the poor that walketh in his uprightness or his integrity than he that is perverse or deceptive in his ways, though he be rich. Solomon was saying, you can have it all, but if you are a low-down, rotten, thieving, conniving scoundrel, you are nothing. Even if it looks like you have it all. Sorry for that reference. That's just the way I felt like saying it. First Chronicles said it this way, 29.17. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you you find integrity there. Why? Integrity is important to God. Integrity is important to God. I I, I need to stop meddling and, and finish this lesson and get on. But a lot of the things that we fuss about not seeing in the church today, is a direct result of some of the integrity that we've laid down. God is going to be God among people that are truly right with him. We want to see miracle signs and wonders. We better walk into this thing. I'm not saying we can't make a mistake. Y'all know better than that. But I'm saying our intention and our focus better be centered on, I got to get this right. I want to be pleasing to him. It's important to God, but it can't be left out of our relationship with others. It can't. We got to have integrity among relationship with others. Did you know that low self-worth or low self-esteem is a result of a gap between our heart's values and our daily actions? Listen to this. George Gallup, that famous, y'all hear about Gallup polls all the time? That's him, George Gallup. He conducted a poll that found this. The number one problem North Americans face is incongruent values. Now, if you don't teach math. You probably don't understand what incongruent means, but let me help you. It's a fancy way of saying we say stuff we don't live. Another poll found that 91% of North Americans lie. Hello? 
The other nine lied about not lying. I just threw that one in there. Fact. We tell lies. Sadder fact. We also live lies. Anybody know the word I'm looking for here? Uh, it's a it's one of our words we use. What is that when you say something but don't do something? You 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 don't live what you say. What what do we call that? I can't go to church because all them hypocrites is gonna be there. Yeah, of which I'm chief. Hypocrisy. Faking it. Faking it. And here's the danger in that. The more you try to fake it, the more frustrated you will become. That's why hypocrites are dangerous. See, I contend, y'all, y'all probably never going to let me talk to you again. I contend that there's two classes of people. <laughs> They're either hypocrites or reprobates. The reprobates don't come to church. They ain't here. Come on now. There's a little hypocrisy in all of us. As much as we try and we strive, we still got things that we wrestle with. I'm in that percentage that tries not to lie, but I do sometimes. But I ain't lying about that. Talk to me. Hellcats. Yeah, that's a tough one right there. The more, <laughs> let me finish. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The more you try to fake it, the more frustrated you will become. And faked goodness will set you up for a fall. And here's the sad thing. It will destroy your most cherished relationships. And this is the real issue. You won't be saved. Here's the thing. What we do for him must be done for him. I, I know that sounds redundant, but think about because it's in all caps, that, uh, that second line. The, the, my first line is all regular writing, what we do for him. But my second line's in all caps, must be done for him. Anything less is hypocrisy. Consider Jesus' words, Matthew 6, 1. Take care, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired, because then you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Now, he isn't giving you a pass there on doing good things. That's not what's happening there because Jesus did good things, and he did them in front of people. He is addressing our motivation. Why are you doing it? Is it for a show? Is it to be admired? Is it so someone will see you and give you an attaboy and pat you on the back and tell you how awesome you are? <laughs> because if that's it, then it's going to be a show. And you will reap the hollow praises of the crowd, but you're going to forfeit the real reward of what you were trying to do. Because God 
judges your wife. First Samuel 16, 7, people judge by outward appearance. But the Lord looks at a person's thoughts and intentions. So here it is. I have a clock in front of me. I got seven minutes. Here it is. People see the person we want them to think we are. But God knows the person that we really are. I can who do you. Fool you. Shame on me. But I ain't fooling him. And what that means is our public image or what we present must match our private reality or we do not have integrity. Can I say it like this? We ain't good. And therefore, because we ain't good, we ain't godlike. Just broke all the codes of English right there. See, this is what you got to understand. Your words are not contagious. People hear words and they have been trained to know that they're hollow. Your words are not contagious. They're not what attracts people to you. It's your lifestyle that attracts people. That's why many times those closest to you are the very ones who don't want to be close to you because they know you and they see that little bit of inconsistency and some of the hypocrisy that dwells in us all. I'm not preaching just to you tonight. I'm talking to me. It's there. We have some. So how do we fix it? We must be people of integrity. We must be diligent about our relationship with Him. We must allow the Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Integrity means you got to decide ahead of time. See, your integrity is intentional. It's planned. It won't just happen. It won't just fall on you. You just won't just wake up and find yourself a person of integrity. You must make up your mind to do the things of God and be sincere in your pursuit of Him. That's what builds integrity within you. Here's what the scripture had to say, Romans 12, 9, be sincere in your love for others. Hate everything that is evil and hold tight to everything that is good. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These are Paul's two practical principles for being good. And they together are saying this. Hold on to your integrity because it will be your strength to overcome evil. Last blank for the night and we are done. The only way you can beat the devil is to be the same in private as you are in public. Mm. Mm, what a statement that is. The only way you can beat the devil is to be the same in private 
as you are in public. What's the old saying about character? It's who you really are when nobody's looking, watching, observing. See, the enemy's not afraid of your words tonight if you have no witness. Think about that. Now, what was the effect or the thing that makes our witness effective? But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then you'll be witnesses. Because your words aren't effective until you have a witness behind them. The enemy's not afraid of your praise if you don't pray. Anybody can come in here and do jumping jacks while they're singing. We want you to do that. We want you to. We want you to worship God. We want you to praise God. We, we, we don't want to sit here like we're dead. We want to give God praise and glory. But you can do that in your flesh. You, you don't have that. Contrary to belief, you can praise the Lord in your flesh. Now, worshiping is spiritual. But you can just praise Him. Let everything that hath breath. We know everything ain't saved, but let everything praise. So He's not afraid of your praise if you don't pray. So this is the key. Would you stand with me and the ushers get ready to help me out of this tonight? I love you. Thank you for being here. We got to be intentional. We got to be real. And we got to let the Holy Ghost grow goodness in us all.